the question is, how do we share the gospel? And uh, I didn't have any more than that on the cards uh, other than some phrasing of that question. How is the gospel shared? I need help sharing the gospel. How do we, sh- you know, how, how do we evangelize? And um, I knew that um, we were coming up to this fall campaign that we were planning amongst the churches in the region uh, on finding the hope in Jesus Christ and a campaign amongst all the churches uh, in Halliburton and hopefully we'll have a couple from Minden on board and we have West Guilford and we have Eagle Lake and the goal of that campaign is as, as was mentioned to reach every home in the county with the gospel and an invitation to hear the gospel and to come to church and find out about the hope that is in Jesus Christ. Now I was recently asked to speak interestingly enough at the Rotary Club about this campaign and uh, about finding the hope uh, in Jesus <laughs> and, uh, and talk about all the churches that were going to participate and share with Rotary some of the goals behind you know, what the church is about. And in speaking to Rotary on that topic, it sort of um, affects your perspective a bit to see the role of the churches in the world from the outside looking in. It allows us to see what the role of the church is as perceived by the community and then to think about what the role of the church is as God planned it to be. And so that's sort of the context of this morning's message. And so when I talk about how do we share the gospel, it's not going to be a lot of techniques and a lot of um, specific tactics on how we're going to share the gospel. It's more of a bigger picture look at the church and our involvement in the church, and how God planned His people to be a witness to the world of the good news of the hope that's found in Him. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. And from our message a few weeks ago on on war, suffering, and evil, if you remember that one, we know that... I'm going to adjust this a little bit because I think it's scratching. We know that the world is uh, subject to futility. You know, we went over all the types of suffering and evil that are in the world. And I went over some of these with, with the people at Rotary, and I think at the beginning of my talk they wondered exactly who they had had come to talk to them <laughs> because I was going through all the places in the world where we find despair, that God has subjected creation to futility. But you'll remember in that passage in Romans 8, 20 to 21, he says that creation was subjected to futility in hope. The key word is hope was the reason that creation was subjected to futility. And so when we look around and we see at the things today, every generation, every community, every people has faced struggles where things seem hopeless. And Halliburton and its families are not any exception. Our families represented in this room are not any exception, even as we've prayed in our congregational prayer. And we think maybe this week you might be thinking specifically of a case like Robin Williams where, excuse me, it would appear that such a high-profile case as this comedian, this man who was honored, who was famous, who was rich, we realize that despair and hopelessness doesn't recognize any boundaries between the wealthy and the poor. It doesn't recognize any boundaries between urban and rural It doesn't recognize any boundaries between famous or anonymous and unknown. We know that there's many people in Halliburton struggling with depression and facing situations where 
the Robin Williams solution looks like an option to them. And in Halliburton, we know the problems that exist with addiction to drugs or alcohol or prescription medication even, and the cycle of hopelessness that can trap a person. It can trap a whole family in despair over addiction. And we know there's financial pressures in this county, unlike other counties in Ontario. And I think I heard somewhere reliably that Halliburton is the second poorest county in Ontario to Manitoulin Island. I mean, that's not an encouraging statistic. There is a lot of poverty in this county. There's a lot of people that are just scraping to get by. Families face poverty-level living, and children face days without food, going to school hungry, right here in Halliburton, without much hope. And like every community everywhere, regardless of economic or educational status, families are broken by marriage, infidelities, by divorce, by abuse, by all forms of dysfunction. And there's couples and families that are losing hope in their relationships with each other right here in our village. And then we consider facing the death of loved ones or dealing with terminal illness. And between depression and addiction and finances and family and illness, those are kind of the big five that I picked out, we know that hopelessness and despair can hit any family. And at this point, there is a guy in the front row at Rotary going, what is this guy talking about? Why did we invite him? (laughs) You're probably wondering the same thing. But the reality is the Christian faith is not a sugar-coated religion. It's not pie in the sky, pretending that everything is okay, pretending that, you know, day by day, little by little, I'm getting better and better, and everything's going to work out in the end. The Christian faith is a picture of the world in reality. It's a picture of creation in reality. It's It's facing the reality of our despair head on and having a solution for it. And so the question that we have is, what is our response to the world's despair as the church? And this is what I talked about with Rotary. I'm going to sort of go off script here a little bit from what I talked to them about. But, but this is what I talked to Rotary about. How the church is a community of people who, by definition, are people who have found hope. That, that within the church, you have a whole bunch of people who at one point in their life were hopeless, and then they found hope. And they've come together under the banner of that hope. And so when you go from church to church to church, where you find Christians, you find communities of people with hope in the face of a world that has no hope. And so does the church have something to offer people who are in despair? Does the church have something to offer people who are feeling hopeless? And the answer is clearly yes. And so when we think about that big picture of the church and how we are as a community literally by definition, a community of people who have hope where other people don't have hope, then we ask ourselves, what was God's plan then for that community that he would call a people out of the world to himself, that he would give them a hope, and then how would that message get across? And so when I talk about how do we share the gospel, I'm just going to give you one thing this morning, just one thing on how the gospel gets shared out of this community of hope and gets outside of the walls of this church. And it is communicating that message of hope. Our text today is 1 Peter 3, 13 to 14. Sorry, it's 1 Peter 3, 15 to 16. 1 Peter 3, 15 to 16. And our text says, But set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts, and always be ready to give an answer for anyone who asks... Now look at what Peter says. Anyone who asks about the hope you possess... Yet do it with courtesy and respect, keeping a good conscience, so that those who slander you conduct your your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame when they accuse you. 
Now, isn't that interesting that Peter would say here in this specific text, when he's giving instructions to the Christians in the church, he's giving instructions to the followers of Christ that as they are ready to share the gospel, as they are ready to give an answer for anyone who asks them about what their hope is or about what they believe, his focus, his primary point is the hope that you possess. That the gospel is hope. And that our testimony, literally our telling of the gospel, is the telling of our hope. That's the message this morning. We have hope, and how we share the gospel is we tell people about the hope that we have. And we're going to get into the details of that as we go along here. The first part here it says, in 15, it says, Set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts. Set Christ apart. And make Christ, it means make Christ holy, or make Jesus holy. And it's a reference to Isaiah 8.13, actually. Peter is quoting Isaiah 8.13, or he's paraphrasing Isaiah 8.13, where it says, Make the Lord of angel armies holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. And now it's interesting, just as an aside here, since we're talking about sharing the gospel, you can put this one in your back pocket for the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's interesting that Peter has no problem quoting Isaiah, which speaks of God the Father, in reference to Jesus, who is the Son. And so Peter is quoting Isaiah, which is speaking to making the Lord the Father holy in your heart. And he says here in 1 Peter 3.15, set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts. Now, if Peter didn't believe that Jesus was actually God, he would be guilty of the kind of blasphemy that got Jesus crucified. Right? So you can just sort of put that in your back pocket. It's kind of interesting that, Jesus ma- or that Peter makes that reference. But the point here is, is that Peter is saying that we first need to be a people who put Christ first, who hold Christ as holy, who set Christ apart as our chief, as our leader, as our supreme counselor, and as our savior. And the context here is to fear God and not fear others. And Isaiah again says it even more strongly. He says, but the Lord of hosts or the Lord of angel armies, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. But this fear, and the word here is important. This, this, this word that set apart Christ that Peter uses, it's the same word that we just prayed in the Lord's Prayer. And it's only interpreted as hallowed there once in the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. Peter is saying, hallow the name of Jesus. Hold the name of Jesus in esteem. Hold it in awe. It's not a fear of consequences because the very next thing that Isaiah says that Peter is quoting is that for people who have this hallowing of God, who people who have this fear of God, people who set Christ aside as the Lord of their life, as their supreme counselor and savior, the very next thing that Isaiah says is he will become a sanctuary. So if you fear God with this hallowing fear, if you have an awe of God and an understanding that Christ is first in your heart and you put Him as the holiest thing in your life, then He will become a sanctuary. The fear of God, this hallowedness, this esteeming, this worship of God that comes from our hope in Him, it's a sure hope that He will be our sanctuary. And again, I go back. That's the hope that all of us, if we're Christians, that's the hope that all of us had at some point. At some point, we were outside of the sanctuary of God And for some of us, we have to think back farther than others. (laughs) But think back. At some point, we were outside of the sanctuary of God. And at some point, we were at despair in our life. And it might have been finances. It might have been illness. It might have just been our own sin. It might have been the consequences of our sin. It might have been 
depression. It might have been any of these things we talked about. But at some point in our life, we were in despair without God. We were outside of the sanctuary. And then we decided to put God first in our heart. And we entered into the fear of the Lord and entered into the sanctuary and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That's who we are as Christians, right? We have hope in Jesus Christ. And so that Peter is saying here, quoting Isaiah, that if you esteem God, if you put Christ first in your life, you enter into this sanctuary. So we need to be a people who hallow God. That's the first thing in how we share the gospel. We have to be a people who live that, who breathe that, who understand the supremacy of God in our life. And then Peter says, if you're that person, if you're that person who has the supremacy of God in your life, then be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you about that hope that you possess, because it comes out of you when you put God first in your life. When you hallow the name of Jesus, when you esteem the name of Jesus, when you lift up God as our Father, that comes out in your life and people are going to ask you about that hope that you possess. And he says, be ready to give an answer. Literally, give an account concerning the hope. And it's interesting here that that concerning our account to others, the Apostle Peter is holding out hope as the primary message of the gospel. The message that he says that we are to give as Christians is a message of hope. Focus on the hope that you have. Hope is the primary nature of the message. Hold out hope to a world that doesn't have hope. That's what they're looking for. And so as we ask ourselves, how do we share the gospel? Just keep coming back to this idea of hope. We have hope to share. We have a message of hope that others don't have. Hope lives in the hearts of Christians. The church is, as I've said, by definition, a community of people who at some point in our lives discovered were hopeless and at some point soon after that found hope in Christ. That's what the church is and that's the message that we have. And so Peter says that Christ is set apart, Christ is hallowed, Christ is esteemed and that when we are able to give a defense of our hope in Christ that our hope is strong and stable and trustworthy that we need to convince people or show people that our hope is not misplaced. Our answer for our hope defends the glory of God and it gives testimony and offers hope to the listener. So in other words, when people come to ask and say, why do you have that hope? When we are able to articulate the hope that we have and and speak it well, then our very act of being able to give God all the glory for the hope that we have praises him and gives him glory to the nations. But then it also helps that person. That's what they're there for. That's the medicine that they need. They need the hope that Jesus Christ offers. And so at the core of Christianity is the truth that God's aim is to be glorified, that God's aim is to be hallowed. And that means that he aims to be esteemed and hallowed and glorified. How does he mean to be hallowed and glorified? He means to be hallowed and glorified and esteemed specifically by our hoping in him. It comes full circle. God has set it up this way on purpose. That God means to be glorified explicitly by our hope in Him and expressing and being transparent about our hope in Him. And this is good news. This is why it's the gospel. This is the best news for us. Because God says, I'm going to be worshipped as glorious. And the reason I'm going to be glorious is because of the hope that I'm giving you as a people. And so as long as you... Take my free gift of hope and trust in me the sure salvation of your soul and your life. Then I'll be glorified and the glory will be in the hope that I'm giving you. And you'll glorify me because you're excited about that hope. And it's just this feedback circle of God being glorified by the hope that he gives us and us being thrilled to give him glory because of the hope that he gave us. 
And so God has set it up that we would love to glorify Him because of the hope that He has in Him. And I'm going to take just one second as an aside here because of the importance of this. And I've talked about the glory of God and how it's important to worship God and glorify God. And, and, and as Christians, when we get off on that, it's easy for us to understand because God is so good and we have this hope and so we feed it back to Him as glory. But some people get upset by that. They think, why does God need all this glory? Why is God always this glory hound, right? Like, is He some sort of megalomaniac? Does He have to have attention all the time? Why does God need all this attention? Why do we have to worship Him all the time? Why can't He just, you know... Be sort of in the background and leave us alone a little bit. The reason that God needs our glory, doesn't need our glory, the reason that God is the object of our glory, and the best way I can put it, even though it's not perfect, is it's because, the option, it's because of the action of a loving parent. So think about it this way. God wants us to glorify Him because He knows that He is our only hope. If we were to glorify something higher than God or start to glorify other things, it only does damage to us. And so God, out of his love for us, needs us to glorify, doesn't need us, wants us to glorify him. We need to glorify him for our own good. This is the parent example that I use. You have a little kid. You have a son or a daughter and, you know, they're five or six years old. What do we teach our kids? When we're out in the world, you look to us, right? When we're out in the world, we're the adult that you turn to. Son, I want you to believe in me. I want you to hear the words I tell you are true. I want you to follow the things that I'm telling you for your life. I want you, when you reach out, to reach out for my hand. Because I know that for my son, when he's five or six years old, the best thing for my son is that he idolize me. That I am the adult that he looks up to because I know what is good for him and I'm looking out for his safety. And if we're out in the world... And there are other adults around who I don't know. And my son is taught that, oh, dad's not a big deal. I don't have to esteem him. I don't have to listen to what he does. He doesn't necessarily have the... I'm going to listen to this guy over here. I'm going to grab his hand and go off with him. Or I'm going to listen to this guy over here and do whatever he says. And I say, no, son. No, don't listen to that man. Don't listen to that woman. Don't listen to that person. Listen to me. Because I know what is healthy and safe and good for you. Can I blow that up 10 million times? God is saying to us as His children, don't go after those other gods. Don't go after those other idols. Don't look to those other things for your hope. Don't look to those other things. Don't worship those other things. Don't put your trust in those things. Put your trust in Me because it's the only thing that will rescue you from the hopelessness and the evil that is out there. And so God is not calling us to worship Him and calling us to esteem Him because He's got this huge ego and because He needs all these you know, dirty little humans to worship Him. That is not God's need. God wants us to worship and esteem Him because He knows that if we were to worship and esteem and follow anything else, it would be to our ruin. And God does not want to see us ruined. And so all of these calls to worship God and all of these calls to hallow Him and esteem Him are to respond to the true hope that He gives us because we are His children and He knows that the very best thing for us is for us to follow Him in total 100% allegiance. And if we get distracted anywhere else, it will be to our downfall. And so when we talk about the hope that we have in Christ and, and giving glory to God, is because God cannot, in His own nature, do anything other than tell us what is the best thing for us. Because His love for us is perfect. And because His love for us is perfect, He has to tell us the best thing for us. And the best thing for us is Him. That's how, it's made. That's how He made us. And so He is most glorified God has worked this out, the way John Piper says it. God has worked this out 
so that He is most glorified when our hope is fixed most highly on Him. Or as Piper says, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. Isn't that an awesome system? He could have set it up differently, but He didn't. He set it up so that our satisfaction in Him is the way that He gets glory. And when He gets glory, we're satisfied in Him and we have that hope and it just keeps feeding back. And so how do we share the gospel? We share this hope that we have in Christ. And so Peter says here then that we ought to be able to give a description of our hope when we're asked, both for the defense of the truth and for the good of the asker. And so the story of our hope may be very simple. And the story of our hope, I want you to think of yourselves right now, the story of our hope may be a simple retelling of our personal experience. It's what we call a testimony. It was very neat the other day, last weekend, at the youth uh, event at the Lester's, um, because Alabama uh, gave her testimony of a time in her life when she was without hope and doing the wrong things leading to hopelessness and despair. And then she talked about the hope that she had in Christ and how that transforms her life. Okay? That is her being ready to give an account of the hope that she has in Christ. And so as we think of ourselves and our story, when we think of sharing the gospel, the thing that we focus on is how do we share the hope that we have in Christ? What is our story? It may just be a simple retelling of our personal experience. And as Christians, our lives should be filled with these stories of hope. There's at least one major one that I've already talked about. There's that major story of hope where we were in despair, whatever it was. In my case, I was in intellectual despair. I was chasing after philosophies and science and, I mean, all kinds of things. I was struggling to figure out How can I get God out of my life so that I'm not held accountable to Him? That's the truth of it in the end of it. But I was in this intellectual despair because everything ended. You know, you follow that path of Freud and Nietzsche and it ends in despair because there is nihilism at the end of it. There is no purpose in anything without Christ. So I came to a point where I can tell you my story of intellectual and philosophical despair where I realized that I just had to suck it up and acknowledge the reality of God in my life and put Him in the right place. And then my despair disappeared because I had hope in Christ. But then, we, So we have that first big hope, that one hope story, but then as Christians we have story after story after story of hope, right? Don't we find our hope in Christ every time we despair, every time there's illness, every time there's financial trouble, every time we fight with our spouse, every time it looks like there's no way out, where do we turn? We turn back to the cross. We turn back to Christ. We find our hope in Christ. And so we should have story after story after story of hope. What Peter says here, giving an account for the hope that people see in us. People should see hope in us. And we should have story after story of the hope that we have in Christ and His faithfulness, how He always is there to come through for us. And so it's important then that we know why we hope in God for ourselves personally and for others. The reality is, to get to the point of the hope, is that when we don't sanctify or esteem God, we, or sorry, we don't sanctify or esteem God when we don't know what our hope is based on or why we hope. And this is where it gets a little scary. Because when we start talking about our Christian testimony, we start talking about the gospel and sharing the gospel and sharing our hope, we start to worry that maybe Paul's going to say, okay, you, tell me your hope in Christ. Or you, you tell me your hope. Or you, you tell me your story. You know, get up here and tell me your story. And you start to think, I don't know what my story is. If somebody asks me, why do I hope in Christ? It doesn't honor God for us to say, I don't know. 
my parents were Christians and it seemed okay, so I am too. You know, or you have your beliefs and I have my beliefs. Everybody believes in something. This is what I picked. Okay, that's not going to esteem God. And that's not going to hold out much hope to that person. So if somebody asks you why you're a Christian, you know, the best thing that you can do is settle for yourself the reason or really settle for yourself several reasons why you personally have your hope in God. This is the practical piece here. How do we share the gospel? How are you going to share the gospel when you're asked? You need to settle the answer for yourself of why you have hope in God and where that hope comes from. And the answer for you probably should not be found in a book. Don't go to the case for Christ to try to find your answer as for why you have hope in Christ. Don't go to a book. Don't, go, you know, don't ask me why you should believe. Go to God in prayer. Ask God to reveal to you the basis of your hope. It's going to be based on Scripture. It's going to be based on the testimony of people around you. It's going to be based on your encounters with God through your life. It's mainly going to be based on your personal story of hope. At what point of despair in your life did God's hope transform you? The first time and any times after that. What keeps bringing you back to God in hope? That is your testimony. And the place you're going to find it is in prayer to God. You can just pray to God right now. You can say, God, you know, I never thought about it before, but I don't know why I hope in you. And it may be because of the testimony of the Gospels. It may be because of um, a personal experience that you had. It may be because of, uh, you know, the, histo- the, the historical reality of Jesus Christ. It may be because the whole thing just makes sense, which was my story. When I read the Bible, the Bible just made sense to me. Everything I read in the Bible reflected exactly what I saw in the world. And the things that I saw in the world, the Bible had an answer for. And it all hung together and nothing else could explain what I saw the way the Bible could explain it. That, that was the beginning of the start of the source of my hope. But we need to pray and we need to ask God, what is the source of my hope? What, why do I hope in you? And then that becomes your testimony. That becomes how you share the gospel. Just, just tell that story just like I did, about how you found hope in God and why your hope in God is sure. Or the story of your hope may be as we spend more time with people who are seeking, as you tell people that story, and then they may want more than that. You you carry on, you have coffee with them and spend more time with them. At that point in time, the, the story of our hope may be more closely argued from Scripture and it may be more reasoned step by step through the Gospels or through a book like Romans. You know, such as Philip and the Ethiopian in in Acts chapter 8 when the Ethiopian was reading Isaiah and Philip was able to go to him and show him Christ in in Isaiah. I mean, so so there will be in our sharing of the gospel, there will be that initial story of our hope and, and being ready to give an account for the hope that we have in Christ. And then as the relationship continues on, it it may expand beyond that. But I want to emphasize today the bottom line, the single thing, the most important thing for you is to be ready to give an account for the hope that is in you. And so you can pray today even. Just go and pray and ask God to reveal to you what is the reason that you have hope. And every Christian ought to be able to give some answer to that question, whether it's a personal answer or whether it's a logical answer, whether it's from experience or whether it's from reason. If anybody asks you why you hope in Christ, it should be easy to answer that question that you have hope in Him for this reason. And then with courtesy and respect, literally humility and caution, And that's just a little thing that 
Peter puts in there to make sure that we offer our story and our reasons softly and with humility. We don't browbeat people. We don't laugh at them. We don't try to overpower them. You know, even though we are able to contend earnestly, as Jude says in verse 3, for the faith, he says, be earnest in your contention for the faith, but earnestness is not a synonym for overpowering or pressuring. Earnestness is a deep-rooted concern in our heart that our message would find softness in the hearts of those who hear it. And so Peter reinforces this emphasis on our conduct in the rest of the verse there, and we won't go into that for the sake of time. But Peter says that we are to be courteous and respectful so that if anyone is to accuse us of anything else, then they would be accused of of lying about us, basically. So there's these two pieces that, that, that Peter puts together, or three pieces, really. There's the hallowing of God, the worship of God, the transformation that comes over us when we put God first in our life and esteem Jesus Christ. And from that estimation or that esteeming of jesus christ then there becomes the story of our hope what is the reason that we hope in christ and being able to tell people that reason that we hope in christ that's how we share the gospel and as a church together we we express that to the world in a way that is gentle and soft and with humility not antagonistically and overpowering people but what i want to focus on here is this idea of of hope and on this idea that we as a church are the plan that God has of gathering people together who have this hope and then as a community that has this hope of expressing that hope to the world. And so we have specific opportunities as a church to share this hope, and I'm going to run through them really quickly right here. So this message, and the reason that I held it for now is for two reasons, is because we've been building towards the fall sort of season, and in the fall there's two important things that are happening which I really need your attention for right now. So if you fell asleep during the middle of the sermon, now is the time to wake up because I really need your attention right now. There's two things that are going on that we've been building towards. You remember our sermon on Isaiah 58, our light bursting forth like the dawn, right? You remember that sermon? And how we want to get the gospel outside of the walls of the church. That we've had this year where we have been healing. We've had this time when we have been, you know, turning towards our, or working on our service and our gifts and building the foundation. You remember the bricks of the foundation of the church and we've been, we've been sort of working internally, but now is the time. And I I firmly believe this. Now is the time that we go beyond the foundation, beyond the rebuilding, beyond the healing. Now is the time that we as a church are ready to face outward and take the gospel outside of the walls of the church. And so this fall, what we have going on is this Find the Hope campaign. So really quickly, this is amongst all the churches, and the idea here is that every household in the county will receive a letter and a booklet explaining that there's a place where hope can be found. And that other people have found hope in the midst of their hopelessness and they can come into this community of hope and find out about it. And so there is a prayer component. There are three interchurch prayer meetings. There's a media campaign with radio and newspapers and posters that's going to start ramping up in September. There's a mail campaign with the booklet and an invitation to be mailed to 5,000 households in the Halliburton area. And there's a door-to-door campaign with a door hanger to invite people to come to church so that they can be in a community of people who have found hope and find out what that hope is for them. That's the purpose of this campaign, and this is going to happen, and the, the, the bulk of it is on October 19th, but we need the people to engage in this opportunity right now to get the message of hope out. Specifically, I need a couple of key leaders to help with the, get the media pieces organized, and then we need all of our small groups that are going to be forming in the fall and individuals to consider how many households they can reach financially with an invitation. When you take the mail out and the media and everything that goes with it, it's about a dollar per household to get the message of hope to get the message of hope out, the gospel out to a household, one dollar. 
So if you think we're 10 weeks out and you set aside $10 a week, that would be 100 households that you could reach with the gospel by the time the campaign starts. Or you can think about the number of people on your street. Or you can think about the number of cottages around your lake. You can just think, how many people do I want to reach with this message of hope? And then set aside a dollar for everyone that you can think of. And my challenge would be $10 a week for the next 10 weeks. It's 100 bucks. It's 100 people reached with the gospel. It's 100 invitations to come out and find out about the hope. And that, that's a minimum to me. I think we can outdo each other in this. And there's an urgency to it to commit to participation for both of these campaigns, the Find the Hope campaign and the 40 Days of Community, which is the next piece of it. They're both about six to ten weeks away, but we need involvement starting now. So you've got a couple of weeks to build some excitement, okay? A couple of weeks to start building up excitement. Woohoo! <laughs> and then it's going to start to happen, right? Then the meetings are going to start to happen. The invitations to come out and be a leader are going to happen. The invitations to be a small group host home. The invitations to put a team together to go, go hang door hangers. Those things are going to start to happen. And so you need to be in prayer for them now. We have a prayer meeting coming up on um, the 27th of August during the day, and then we'll have some night ones in September. But come to that prayer meeting and, and, and look and listen for opportunities to get involved and find the hope. The second thing, quickly, is find the hope. You know what? My watch stopped at 10 after. <laughs> it's 10 after 11 for me forever, so just get comfortable. <laughs> I am sorry. This last one, 40 days. 40 days of community. This is happening as well. What we want to do is when we have Find the Hope Sunday and we have these 5,000 invitations go out and we have the media and the radio and the newspaper and we have the door hangers and the invitation and people find out that there are communities of hope that they can come to learn the hope. Right after that, the big, the big Sunday is the, is the 19th of, uh, of October. Right after that Sunday is we don't want to lose all those people. Right? Once they come out and they hear the hope, we don't want to lose them. And so what we're starting on the 26th is 40 days of community. It's a six-week small group study where the whole church, everybody's going to be aligned on the same theme of building community amongst each other, of a unified body of Christ who have hope in Jesus so that these people who come to find the hope find small groups and small communities and, and bundles of people that they can join. And that we don't just... Bring them in the front door and lose them out the back door. And so I want you to get excited about both of those things, both the invitation and the 40 days of community that's coming. Because I think as a church, I strongly believe that this fall is the time. We are now ready to take the light of the gospel outside of the walls of this church and to really reach our community, to stretch ourselves and get outside the box, to tell the world, tell Halliburton at the very least, that there is hope. And the hope can be found in Christ. And there's a community of people who have found the hope and want to show them the hope if they'll come and join us. Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks for your word. Hope, 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 hope. Father, it's so central. Everything about you is hope. You gave hope to the nation of Israel by rescuing them, by giving them a land, by protecting them, by bringing them back out of idolatry time and time again. Their hope was in you. If they would just turn to you and pray to you and call out to your name, then you would call those that are not your people your people again. The hope was always in you. And then Jesus coming, the hope of the nations, to be the light of the world, to give sinners and rebels 
an opportunity to reconcile with you that is impossible without him. And then the the early church with Paul and the apostles and the disciples teaching over and over and over again, we have hope, share that hope. Lord, we want to follow in those footsteps. We want to be a people of hope that are sharing our hope. So I would pray that you would put that deep in our hearts today. That both of these these campaigns that we plan aren't successful because we've done really smart planning. But they're successful because there is a passion in our people to see hope in hopeless places. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.